electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, Tim Seymour, and Guy Dami. Tonight on Fast, the three words that sent the apes bananas. Naked shorts, yeah. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> so the question is, are naked shorts driving wild swings in AMC? You will hear from one former top SEC enforcement lawyer who says it is happening in the market. What he is seeing, what he says needs to be done to rein it in. Plus, we're watching shares of GameStop in the after-hour session. The stock moving lower after the company reported results and named a new CEO. GameStop's call just getting underway will break in with any big headlines. And later, the chairwoman is taking the pitcher's mound to throw out her best idea why Karen thinks there is real opportunity in this online retailer. That name straight ahead. We start off with an inflation warning. Signed, sealed, and delivered. UPS falling more than 4% today. The company telling investors its profit margin outlook is below Wall Street expectations. UPS, just the latest company to ring the alarm on rising costs. But inflation fears are hitting America's biggest companies. Don't tell the Treasury market. Rates falling today with the 10-year yield dropping below 1.5%. So who is telling the real story on inflation here? A company like UPS and the many others who have warned about pressures recently? Or the bond market saying everything is just fine? Dan, what do you say? Oh, man, it's more like what Fundstrat Tom Lee said the other day, and we talked about it last night. He said that the bond market sniffed this out long ago, that the inflation expectations or fears of inflation expectations is kind of backward looking here. And I think you want to go with the bond market here because this is kind of one of the major inputs if you think about for expectations for yields. And so, you know, you look at this conversation that UPS is having at their analyst day, and you just said it, we know that a lot of companies um, on their Q1 calls said inflation, 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 but might it be backward looking? We've already seen some of the input costs, maybe not crude oil, but some of the things in the housing market come in a bit here. So, you know, your guess is as good as mine. We have that CPI print tomorrow morning. I suspect if it runs a little hot, a little bit, that it'll be explained away. But if it's soft, Mm-hmm. Yields are going lower. And, and, you know, like I think Tom Lee's point is great for equities. All right. Um, Campbell Soup, Procter & Gamble, Chipotle, either rain, uh, raising prices or saying that costs are imp- you know, affecting margins, Karen. I mean, this is not just a one-off here. It's a string of companies. And whether or not it's backward-looking, the price increases are forward-impacting in terms of the consumer. Yes, that is true. But uh, so I believe there will be inflation, but I'm seeing a lot of signs that there won't be inflation, too. Right. I can't totally ignore that just because it's not what I believe. Right. So, you know, we saw that auction today. We saw the 10 year come in. I think the CPI, just like Dan said, I agree. I think I was thinking that if it's if it's hot, we may be able to explain it away. It's transitory. We've seen some of these things in backwardation. We talk about lumber and and. Uh, copper. And so maybe that transitory story will still be valid. But just like Dan said, if it's if it's cool, then I think that it will really have legs. And then those high flying multiple stocks again might find, you know, might find a real tailwind. I think that's part of uh, ARC's theory that those high flying stocks are coming back. And if inflation is lower, that's going to be support for that. 
You can also, by the way, explain away some of that move in the 10-year in the yield. I mean, Guy, the breakdown of infrastructure talks, that's supportive for the bond market as well. We won't be spending as much money having to issue more bonds. Yeah, I think that was a big deal. I wish I had brought it up yesterday. We were thinking about it. But yes, you're right. I mean, I think that sort of um, didn't argue particularly well for the bond market, or maybe did in terms of yields going low, depending on how you're looking at it. I mean, there are ways to explain this, and I'm interested to hear what Peter Bookvar says. But what I'll tell you is, you know, Russ Kostrich was just on from, from BlackRock, and he said, listen, real yields in this country are still probably minus 90 basis points. Something doesn't make sense. He explained that same question, saying all the liquidity. And I guess I would ask just in general, maybe to the audience, ask yourself where 10-year yields would be if uh, the, the, the geniuses at the Federal Reserve weren't buying $120 billion worth of stuff every month for the last couple of years. I mean, that's a, that's a reasonable question to ask. And one has to ask, wonder what happens when they stop. Tim, your take on uh, yields versus what companies are saying. Well, the 10-year traded below the 100-day today to the downside for the first time since Jan 29, 2020. And remember when the bond market was telling us something even well before COVID hit, hit our shores. And, and, and so, look, I, I've, I believe, you know, I've said a handful of times in different ways. I'd much rather see a 220 uh, or, a, a, you know, a 260 uh, possibly. But, but certainly I'd much rather see higher bond yields than lower. Um, the, the pace and the move are things that we, we can talk more about and we've seen at times have been un, unnerving. Um, but as far as inflation goes, I think you break it down in terms of commodity price inflation, in terms of cost inputs. Um, the, the best thing that can happen uh, or the best way to control higher commodity prices is higher commodity prices. There's always a supply response. Um, that's not really what worries me. I, I think the cost of guys Cheerios will come back down at some point. Um, it's services inflation that is is much more difficult to root out. Um, I think that's largely what we're most concerned about. And I think that the, the dynamic here is that possibly the bond market is two steps ahead of the Fed. Um, I, I think the bond market, in other words, maybe uh, assuming that the Fed is going to have to do something and, and do something aggressive when they're well, well offsides and they realize that like they've done in the past and that actually that's going to destroy uh, a lot of the growth that we see out there. And maybe that's what the long end of the curve is doing. Yeah, let's get stock specific, though. I mean, in terms of what UPS said, Karen, mm-hmm. it was the the operating guidance, operating margin guidance for the United States. Mm-hmm. And so what do you extrapolate from that in terms of you like UPS? I like UPS. I have a and much, much like bigger it. position in FedEx, which uh-huh. obviously traded down right on the heels right. of UPS, as it should. That's not surprising to me. It wasn't. The margin number wasn't the problem. I think it was the expectation of maybe even a better margin number, mm-hmm. more than the number itself. So that, you know, we've seen a few times great numbers from companies reporting, right? We saw it from Amazon, we saw it from Apple, and yet the stocks don't react in a positive way. So that, to me, is part of also what was going on in UPS, that expectations were high. They hoped an analyst day they would, they would move guidance higher, mm-hmm. not sort of keep it where, around where the street was. So it's a little disappointing that they didn't move it higher. I certainly wish it would as a FedEx holder. I, I hope they do. But to me, I still want to own them. I still believe in the story. I still believe in the valuation, particularly for FedEx. So uh, not great price action, but I, I, it's not changing my long-term outlook in FedEx. When you hear from a company, down that they're facing higher input costs, margin pressures, et cetera, does that impact how you look at the company 
as a stock to buy. No, no doubt about it. I mean, this company, you know, it's uh, it's a gap uh, from 170 up to 220, you know, after their last earnings report, and the stock had been consolidating at all-time highs, you know, after that massive ramp. One piece of news like this taking it back down, and just think about it. We have what? How many weeks left in Q2? We're going to be in Q2 earnings season in July. The S&P 500 was literally making a new all-time high this morning or, or, or thereabouts. And so, um, if you're concerned about the S&P where it's trading, and you think you have cheap names like this, but warning on margin pressures, there's a lot more of expensive names in the market that could tell you some very similar things, which could give you that pullback that I think a lot of money is waiting for. We've seen the S&P consolidate over the last month or so in this kind of 4,100, 4,200 range. And I don't think anyone's expecting, everyone's worried that rates going higher to 2%, the 10-year Treasury yield, was going to be the thing, the next thing that caused a sell-off. Maybe it is a bunch of disappointing earnings, which again gives the Fed more cover as they're right. looking at, at corporate America. They're seeing two consecutive weak job prints. If they start to see some cooler inflation data, they have no sense. There's no reason to move, I guess. Let me just add yeah. one thing, though. Yeah. UPS and FedEx, they have pricing power and they're using that pricing yeah. power, right? So uh, that's, I mean, an argument for inflation, I guess, as well. But it's margin. It maintains their margin because they do have that pricing power. That's a good point there. Um, Guy, you know, Karen made an interesting point before in terms of looking at the data, and, and you are in the camp that believes that inflation is all around us. So if the CPI print comes in and, and it doesn't show that inflation is, is too hot or is hot at all, at what point do you say, you know, maybe, maybe this, is, this whole thing is transitory? Yeah, I, I, you know, maybe I should. You know, it's interesting. You, you try so, or I shouldn't say you. I try so hard not to be dogmatic, but there's so many things around you to just sort of formulate your views. And I see what's going on in the world. I'm sure a lot of our viewers are as well. Things are clearly more expensive. There's no w- way around it. I mean, the system is being flooded with liquidity. There's no way around that. I and mean, regardless of when that number comes in tomorrow, inflation is clearly here. There are a lot of people that have stated that. Whether the Fed acknowledges or not, I have no control over clearly, but if you're just trying to live on this planet right now, um, things are clearly more expensive. And I just don't see that going away anytime soon, especially with all the liquidity out there, especially with things opening up. Oh, and by the way, supply chains, which are problematic, those things don't take care of themselves overnight. We had that discussion last night. So in, in a, effectively, everything in the history of mankind is transitory, just how you define it. And my sense is, uh, they're going to continue to define it, whatever's beneficial to their narrative, they being the Federal Reserve. All right. Well, UPS may be the tip of the iceberg. Our next guest warns the Fed at this point is impotent in controlling inflation. Those are his words. And we could be back for a flashback to the 1970s. Peter Bookvar is the CIO of Bleakley Advisory Group and a CNBC contributor. Peter, great to have you with us. You think this whole transitory notion of inflation is baloney, basically. Why? Well, Let's break out inflation between services and goods. Over the last 20 years, services inflation X energy has averaged an annual increase of 2.7%. Goods prices are flat. They're zero. They've averaged zero. So this discussion is really about the good side. So what we're having this year is a reacceleration of services inflation, which will go back to trend or even higher considering what's going on in the housing market. And we're discussing now a cyclical rise in goods prices. And is it lasting a quarter, two quarters, or maybe two years? And I think this is going to be longer lasting, therefore not transitory in the Fed's definition, even though we're not exactly clear on the Fed's definition of transitory. Is it a few months when you work out the base effects, or is it something more? But I think if the prints this summer, and 
July, August, and even into September are hot, that's going to tell us that it's not so transitory. The NFIB Small Business Optimism Index yesterday revealed that those that are looking to raise selling prices rose to the highest level since 1981. That is not something that just goes away in a few months. It is now becoming embedded, and it's not just commodity prices, it's transportation costs, it's packaging costs, it's labor now. And this sort of just gets into the psychology, which I think is just beginning. We've been seeing producer price pressures now for about six months. It's now only beginning to filter into the consumer side and being now passed on. So, Peter, it, it, it's Tim. Thanks for joining us. Your views on inflation and the Fed, I think, have been very clear. You write one of the best newsletters out there. And so here's the question. The harder question is, what's the Fed to do? What do you want to see the Fed wake up tomorrow and do? Because, uh, you know, yes, we, we don't want to see them buying, you know, 10 year Apple paper or AAA bonds. Um, but but what's the answer, even though we know policies offsides? OK, so QE right now, the only thing QE is doing is psychologically lifting asset prices and monetizing U.S. debt. There's no direct transmission between QE and economic activity. So they need to start weaning us off, at least on the QE, just to get started. But that's the amazing thing about how behind the curve they are, because all we're debating is tapering QE. Even when they're done with that, which could take well into next year or the year after, they still have rates at zero. So they're still in a very difficult position. And just to add on to that NFIB comment with high selling prices, those that expect a better economy actually fell to an eight-year low. There's stagflationary type signals that we're getting in many different industries that really makes a central bank's job extraordinarily difficult because if they try to tap on the brakes to deal with uh, inflation, well, then they threaten uh, to slow the economy further from what's already stagflationary type situation. So they're in an enormously difficult spot. And but I think that they're going to have to start ripping this bandaid off soon. Peter, it's Karen. Let me sort of play devil's advocate a little bit. As we reopen, it takes a while. So how long will that be before we really get to? All right. This is the new sort of, you know, the economy running at whatever its real level is, not a reopen, which is obviously turbocharged. That would seem to me to be a little longer than just the next month or two or three of data. And could that then show transitory without showing stagflation? It's a good question. I, I, I think, you know, I, I don't want to sound so confident that I know how this is going to play out. But yeah, as, as the economy further reopens, do these supply chains respond? But I argue that that a lot of the things that we're seeing with price pressures could last because of a few different things. And that is underinvestment. 10 years plus of underinvestment in housing. Take shipping, for example. Remember, every single thing that is made in this world ends up on a boat, a plane, uh, a, a rail car or a truck. Well, we saw a huge amount of bankruptcies in the trucking business in 2019, a reduction of capacity that's not coming back anytime soon. So that's going to lead to a few years of trucking pricing power. We've seen massive consolidation in the container shipping market, which is leading to pricing power in that part of the, uh, the economy. Now, maybe we'll get some, some cargo capacity back as passenger planes come back online because they take a lot of cargo. But we still see, I mean, notwithstanding what UPS said today, them and FedEx certainly have an enormous amount of pricing power uh, that they haven't had in a while. Uh, it's going to take two years to bring semiconductor plants back. It's going to take more than that to bring copper mines back. 
You can imagine it being an oil executive. The last thing you're going to do is ramp up uh, in investment in oil and gas when every single day you hear about somebody who wants to put your industry out of business. So there, there are deeper uh, uh, reductions in investment that we've been seeing over the last 10 years that's going to manifest itself, I believe, in stickier goods prices, which I said earlier, combined with pretty sticky and persistent services inflation, and you're going to get higher aggregate inflation. And one last point on this is that the global rates market, the level of interest rates, is not positioned for any upside surprise in inflation that lasts. Now, if the Fed funds rate was 2.5%, the 10-year was 4 to 5%, we had more normal interest rates around the world, but well, then we'd be able to absorb a period of time of higher inflation. But with negative rates, with zero rates, with microscopic rates everywhere, we're just not positioned for any upside inflation surprises that last more than just a few months. Peter, thanks so much for joining us. Always great to get your perspective on things. Peter Bookvar, Bleakly Advisory Group. Um, Guy Dami, I think key was the last point that Peter made, and that is that the market is not positioned for any inflation upside. It's the expectation and the positioning of it. And we're just not there. Yeah, I mean, and then I think the pushback would be, you know, the market was trying to position themselves for that when they sold the bond market off and 10-year yields went to 177. And maybe we're seeing sort of the after effects of that. There's so many, there, there's so many facets to this. It's really interesting conversation. Clearly, Peter speaks to it much more intelligently than I do. But I think his fears are well-placed. And again, he's not dogmatic. He's just reading the tea leaves. So we'll see what the CPI number is. We'll see how the market reacts to it. Uh, Dan brings up a great point. You know, this 1.5% is a bit of a pivot point. The auction was good. Tim mentioned where we are in terms of the moving averages. It all leads, seemingly, to rates going lower. I just don't find myself in, the, in that camp. All right, let's get to our earnings alert here on GameStop. That stock is dropping in the after-hour session on, on reporting earnings. It's down 9%. The call's underway. Let's get to Kate Rooney with the details. Kate. Hey, Melissa, GameStop news pouring in here after hours. The call, it did just start, but it also just ended. It was about 12 minutes total. There was no Q&A. The current CEO highlighting the company's e-commerce turnaround plan and his successor, GME, announcing that it hired two new executives. The first, a new CEO, Matt Furlong. He's a former Amazon executive. Furlong will start the new role on June 21st. He worked for Amazon for about nine years, most recently leading growth in Amazon's Australia business. GameStop also filling the CFO seat with another Amazon executive, Mike Recupero. These two hires fitting into Ryan Cohen's e-commerce strategy. But other than the high-profile hires, not a lot of detail on that plan. Still pretty opaque there. The company also disclosing an SEC investigation. It says it's complying with a request for documents. This is concerning trading activity in GameStop stock and shares of other companies. As far as the actual numbers, there's really no comparison because the coverage is so thin. Only four analysts now cover this stock, but the company saw net sales grow about 25% from last year on EPS. They saw a loss of 45 cents per share that was adjusted. No guidance from GameStop, but sales in May were up 27% year over year. So a little bit of a glimpse into recent performance. And Melissa, I was going to say I'd bring you more headlines, but like I said, the call is over. <laughs> Back to you. That has to be some sort of a record, 12 minutes so. and no <laughs> Q&A. That's um, astonishing, but not surprising in today's day and age. Kate, thank you. Kate Rooney. Um, Karen, I go to you. I mean, in GameStop's defense, I'm not trying to, but, you know, the other side of it, there are four analysts who cover GameStop, and so not having Q&A for the four analysts who cover may not, you know, they might interact with the company in many other ways since there's only four of them. That's true, but they do have 
hundreds of thousands of retail shareholders that are want to hear what they have to say. Theoretically. So I don't know. I mean, it seems to me the earnings are really not the story here, obviously, right? It seems like they want to get away from anything related to earnings, hard numbers, things like that. I think the hires sound good. Um, they seem like, on paper, that seems like a good team to hire. But it, it's just not the story here. And I don't know what you do if you're an analyst. I mean, is there anyone remotely higher than 30? I don't know. So many people have dropped coverage of stocks like a GameStop, like these, you know, popular stocks on Reddit, let's let's call them, because they've divorced themselves from fundamentals. And and to be fair, the shareholders say it's not about the fundamentals, that that it's where it's trading at this point. But it's interesting to see the divergence in in approach between an AMC where Adam Aaron is actually having an investor you know, discussion with one of the so-called apes yeah. of the Reddit army versus a GameStop, which shuts its call down after 12 minutes. Yeah, I mean, listen, these CEOs are in difficult situation. They know that their stocks are uninvestable. They're saying it in their secondary offering uh, memorandum here because they, like you said, Mel, they are divorced from any fundamentals relative to where the price of these things um, are trading. So, you know, listen, I, I think they're probably great trading vehicles. I know I read this uh, yesterday in the Wall Street Journal that an AMC, there was last week there was eleven and a half billion dollars in options traded associated with AMC. Yeah. That was more than the S and P uh, ETF, the QQQ, the Nasdaq ETF, and Tesla combined, and that's a thirty billion dollar or was a thirty billion dollar market cap. So they are just like speculative vehicles right now, and you're going to trade derivatives on them. I mean, like, listen, it's really hard for us to talk about the analysts stop covering it. They're not investable, but they're moving around like crazy, and people want to talk about them. Yeah, and some people want to trade them for that very reason, yeah. Tim. And, and some will say, you trade the move. A, a lot of people on the street trade the move. They don't trade the fundamentals. I'm not advocating one way or another. True. Yeah, although wasn't the story with GameStop in the beginning a change in management and, and you know, Chewy's, uh, Chewy's founder coming on board and, and changing the team and, and, you know, pounding the table around with all due respect. And these guys are probably very talented that came over from Amazon. But, you know, how senior were they? And, and you know, just slapping an Amazon guy in your org chart, does that change your profile? <laughs> it doesn't. Um, and it's, I'm sorry, because I mean, I see this all the time in emerging markets and developing markets where you hire somebody from a big company and you put them in your org chart. And that's supposed to be a catalyst. We'll see. I mean, I, I, I just, you know, the, the fact of the matter is there's been an, an alleged fundamental story by many, not all, um, many that are following the stock. And that's the reason for getting on top of it. Um, but but explaining momentum um, is something that some of the most sophisticated traders on Wall Street can't do at times. Um, and. You know, just call it that. Let's call it that. The SEC investigation to trading, um, I don't think, is helping either. In the after-hours session, the stock up, by the way, is down 12.5% right now. We'll keep track of it. Coming up, the naked truth on naked shorts. One former top SEC lawyer says it is happening in the market. What he is seeing and what he says needs to be done to rein it all in. Plus, the big move in Bitcoin, the cryptocurrency climbing back after a rough couple of days. We're breaking down the action next we are live at the Nasdaq market site in New York City's Times Square. Fast Money is back right after this. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, 
The ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out the move in Bitcoin today. The cryptocurrency rallying more than 10% to erase its losses for the week. The big move comes as Coinbase gets an underperform rating at Raymond James. Analysts calling the cryptoverse a sea of unknowns and expect more downside for the company. Um, and this really goes to the heart of where Coinbase gets its revenue guy. And the majority of that is trading commissions. And they're saying that gets competed away in general unless there's a barrier to entry. And there is, there's no barrier to entry as far as they can see. No, that was their note, shrinking margins. I mean, Dan, I'm sure we'll have some thoughts. You know, Dan believes that this could be the Charles Schwab of this generation. He might be right. But in the meantime, Raymond James is looking at the business model and saying, you know, there's really no moat here. And you have to take the, the research. It's really interesting. You can't, and my, this is just my opinion, I mean, you can't just look at Coinbase and do an overlay of the Bitcoin price and say they're the one-to-one. I don't think they are. What I do find interesting, though, uh, for the first time in a while, if you look at a play stock market, your MicroStrategies was up 10% today uh, on the back of some of their announcements. The first time that that's really correlated, well, the first time on the upside, I should say, that you have that positive correlation with Bitcoin. So if you're inclined to trade the equities around it, I think MicroStrategies given a huge move to the downside and the subsequent bounce. If you're bullish in Bitcoin, that's a better way to play it than Coinbase. Yeah, MSTR, which continues to add to its Bitcoin position on its balance sheet. Dan, what did you make of this call and or the Bitcoin move? Yeah, it seems a little bearish. I mean, the, the stock is down. <laughs> you think you know, accelerating? It, it's, been, it's been cut in half from its direct listing from the highs that day. It's got a $46 billion market cap. Who knows what it's worth? You could say that competition and fees um, are going to come down. What if I told you in five years they're going to be tokenizing stocks that, that trade on the NASDAQ or the NYSE and they're going to be the pioneers doing it? It could be the biggest thing going, you know? So um, I you know, to me, I see no reason to poo-poo it. You know, we were thinking, we used to talk to Coinbase a lot back in 2017 on this show. They put their heads down. They knew it was a retail frenzy. They were building institutional-grade products for this moment. And now there are plenty of institutions. Is it kind of a bummer that Bitcoin's been cut in half in, in, in a month and a half since uh, Coinbase went public in mid-April? Yeah, I don't think that they're probably freaking out out there, though, um, at the Coinbase headquarters. Again, they have a different worldview than a lot of people who are slapping sells on the stock. All right. We're just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what is coming up next. 
Up next, the three words that sent the AMC apes bananas. Naked shorts, yeah. Is it really happening? And what's being done to stop it? A former top SEC lawyer joins us ahead. Plus, there's a fastball coming at you. Karen's winding up for a fast pitch on one stock she says is a real winner. We've got all that and more when Fast Money returns. For more than a decade, Comcast has been committed to bridging the digital divide and connecting millions to affordable high-speed Internet. But the barriers to get connected go well beyond affordability. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to reach millions with digital skills training, resources, and opportunities needed to succeed in a digital world. Project Up, building a future of unlimited possibilities. Learn more at Comcast.com slash Project Up. Welcome back to Fast Money. We're continuing to watch shares of GameStop after its report. It is at uh, after our session lows down more than 13 percent. This name, just one of a handful of stocks with a high short interest that have been the target of the Reddit trade. And at its peak in January, GameStop, remember, had a short interest of 140 percent. Hmm. How does that happen, you ask? Well, Robin Hood, CEO, testified before Congress that, quote, the ability for the same share to be shorted an indefinite number of times is somewhat of a pathology that should be fixed. Shorting still front and center in the Reddit trade, many pointing to the recent swings in AMC being driven by so-called naked shorts, the illegal practice of short selling a stock without actually locating that stock to borrow. So is naked shorting happening in this market? Our next guest says, yes, it is. Let's bring in Jacob Frankel, former SEC enforcement lawyer. He is now a partner at Dickinson Wright. Jacob, great to have you with us. Good to be back with you. Simple as that. Naked shorting exists in this market, even though it's an illegal practice. Well, it's not entirely illegal, but yes, in the, in the large cap market, it absolutely would be uh, Ill- illegal if, if, a, um, if a party is unable to locate the shares, borrow the shares, deliver the shares. Yes, under those circumstances, um, it is illegal, and it's something that's been going on in the market for a long time. What really has happened here is companies like GameStop, AMC, all these meme stocks have brought naked short selling really to the forefront of the market's interest. This is something that's going on for a very long time in a small cap market and is very much a problem. Is it, uh, can you give us an idea of how big of a problem? You said it's existed for a long time. Is it rampant? Is it in, in small pockets of the market? Why isn't the SEC doing something about it if it is in fact illegal? The, the, short, the short answer is I think it's difficult to find. And it's also not a sexy type of case. I mean, the fact is the SEC has not brought many naked short cases. I mean, they did bring one about three weeks ago, uh, so, so in 2021, involving more than 90 naked short sales from December 26th through July 2017. Broker-dealer made $1.6 million in commissions. It took four years for the SEC to bring that case. 2012, case against the Wolfson brothers, same thing. It took the, the SEC five years to bring a case, and what they charged were Stock locate issues, order marking, failure to borrow, delivery violations. We're not seeing charges of fraud or manipulation. I think the reason for that is these cases are hard to find. They're tedious to put together. And it it really is a challenge for the SEC to bring these cases. But now that it is in the discussion, hopefully we will see more naked court cases and particularly seeing it charged as fraud or manipulative activity. Jacob, it's Karen. Thanks for being on. So... 
if I were to try to think about how much of this naked shorting is actually going on in, let's say, an AMC, is that a lot of intraday shorting like we were talking about during the commercial break? Is it up to an option expiration and then kind of gets uh, flattened out? What, how big is it, do you think, around uh, aside from those two things? Well, th- that's really the challenge is we really don't we really don't know because a lot of it turns on, you know, on on a it's a very firm, specific analysis. Is there coordination? Is there manipulative activity? Is it intraday, intraday, as you point out? I mean, when I was at the commission and enforcement, you know, I did a, a manipulation case that involved marking the close at a quarter end, looking only at 30 minutes of trading. It does not have to be over an extended period of time. The issue is identifying it. And the people who see it or see it most closely are those who are in the market. And then the question then is, are they willing to bring that information directly to the attention of the SEC, which often then means also poking around in that company's books? So, and I should also add, the short sellers for a long time and probably and to this day are an important source of information for the SEC's enforcement division. By no means do I want to suggest the SEC you know, has turned a blind eye. On the other hand, we really have not seen that many cases over the years involving fraud on the short side. I like how you say you don't, you don't want to say the SEC is turning a blind eye, but basically implying that the SEC is turning a blind eye because that's exactly what you're doing, Jay. I mean, if I'm watching this, I'm thinking, you know what, the SEC doesn't want to investigate the source of so many tips that it gets into other um, manipulative practices or, or deceptive practices, et cetera. But it, it, in, in fairness, it also is a matter of the information actually being brought to the attention mm-hmm. of the SEC. In other words, while the SEC has powerful tools, if you think about it, you know, what would satisfy the market most from an enforcement perspective? To see a naked short case brought quickly so it has an impact. And right. I shared with you two, case, two examples where it took four years and five years to actually bring the case. The problem is the agency needs to see the conduct, be able to identify it, and then you know, look at the broker dealer. Look at look at the broker dealer's record. Look at the funds record. Look at the traders' records. Talk to individuals. These are very tedious cases to put together. And I think as we have a heightened sensitivity to this issue in the market, being brought to the forefront by higher profile companies and higher profile meme trading activity, maybe we will more likely see more cases in this area. But up until now, you we, we only have seen. We've only seen short sale fraud cases favoring activity in the small cap market because that tends to be a much lower hanging fruit. Jacob, great to get your thoughts, as always. Thank you, Jacob Frankel. Um, Karen, you've been looking into this sort of in in your own way, making calls to... Well, I wonder if there's not the impetus to do anything with naked short selling now because the perception is it's the big players that are naked shorting if anyone's naked shorting and they're getting slaughtered and so um okay let it be let it be yeah you know it's the law of the jungle i guess i don't know because it does seem like they're sort of saying we're not going to pursue it. yeah tim or or they're pursuing it and it'll be three years four years before we see any sort of fruits of that labor yeah look if there's a public perception that naked short sellers uh, or, first of all, that short sellers, because uh, naked short sellers, we, we all agree, is not something that should be happening. And largely, uh, Jacob Frankel said it, it's, it's illegal. It's not always illegal. 
Um, but that, it, that if this is ultimately hurting the retail investor and that, you know, the, the, the commission, the SEC is certainly out there to protect the interests of, of the broader investing public. Um, and, and I'd say on some level, even more so um, than the institutional community, that, that maybe this is the catalyst to, to spend more time and more focus on this. It's just interesting because as, as we've talked about the, the GameStop, the Reddit Rebellion, the apes uh, over the last three to six months, um, the story has really been more about uh, you know, possible manipulation, possible um, you know, disclosure dynamics, uh, the ability to push stocks around, um, not necessarily the reason why they got to an overly shorted place, I think. And, and obviously the narrative is changing, and I think the SEC is paying attention to that. All right. By the way, next Wednesday I'll be hosting a global summit on the rise of the retail investor. We've got a big lineup coming your way. Go to cnbcevents.com slash evolve to sign up. Coming up, we've got more after-hours action coming your way. Shares of RH rocketing higher on results. The traders will lay out their take in a few. But first, Karen is taking them out to pitch her next best idea. She says this stock is a total home-run investment. We'll bring you the name when Bass Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money Retail. Roaring back this year as consumers get ready to take the streets again. Take to the streets again. Our Karen Feinerman says there's one name that could see some real gains as a result. Karen stepping up with her fast pitch, Karen. Yeah, so my fast pitch is the real real. And I really like it. There's lots of reasons, but let's take a look. I don't know if we have a chart. We can see it year to date. It actually hasn't been great. And the, star- the sell-off started after the first quarter earnings. That gets me into a lot of reasons why I like it. They gave conservative guidance coming out of that, the, the last earnings report, and people were a little disappointed with that. I'm never disappointed with conservative guidance. I think in this world right now, it's hard to really have a lot of faith in what's going to happen. The other thing was the CFO leaving. That is a negative, but he will be there till the end of the year till they find a replacement. But to me, it was a sandbag. If you actually listen to the call, which I think is really important, instead of just reading the transcript, you sort of hear the body language. And I did not get as dour a a feel from it as the rest of the street got. So I liked it. So let's look at what happened. So the take rate, which is how much real real keeps, that actually went down during the pandemic, as you can imagine. So consigners, it was harder to get them to uh, have someone in their home to pick up goods. And buyers had to get promotions to buy goods. So what the take rate, which is what real real keeps, that got compressed. And the street obviously was disappointed with that. But I think there's a lot of reasons why that take rate is going to go back up. So for one thing, they are consolidating their, uh, they have two big distribution centers. They're consolidating and opening another one in Arizona. And that should be a lot cheaper to operate. That should allow them to have shipping leverage. So that should bring the cost down. That will improve their margins. They're trying to get to this uh, per, $100 per, uh, per sale um, figure that went down from 92 to 85. I think it's on its way back up. Um, the other thing that's interesting about it is it's an ESG play. We're talking about the circular economy and sustainability, and this is right in the heart of that. And yet at the same time, it is the go-to luxury place to do that if you're interested in it, which I am. Uh, The last thing I think that's really interesting about it is it potentially could be a target for an acquisition. I think that at this ratio that it's trading, if I look at it as a multiple of sales at three and change times, that doesn't seem very high to me, particularly when you look at the deal that Etsy just did which was a multiple way, way higher for a business that I don't think is nearly as good. 
So you put all those things together. I think there was an opportunity that this sell-off after the call created that I think won't be there very long. I'm long stock. I really like it. And as the as we get more out of the pandemic, Melissa and I talk about this all the time. People we think want to get outside. They want to dress up. They want to look nice. They want to go to parties. They want to socially be out there. And they want to also save money. And so the real real fits a lot of those. And I like the site. Anyway, it's fun. All those reasons, I'm long the stock. I really like it. Or they need a good handbag, right, for putting stuff because they're walking around town. Guy, you, you can relate to that. You have a question for Karen. I do. Karen, I love your work on the Fast Money, by the way. Thank big, you. Big fan for quite a long time. And I know, you, I know you would never buy a stock for this reason. But in the world we live in, is there a short interest that would justify this becoming one of those Mimi or GIF stocks that everybody seems <laughs> to be talking about these days? So there is a short interest here. The short interest is about 25 percent, which I think does sort of set it up for the, the Mimi, as you call it, world. But it's not at all why I'm in it. And there is another thing about that short interest. There is a convert out there that converts into stock at about 17, 70 or 80 in there. And as the stock goes up, convert bondholders generally short stock against it. And I think that six and change million, by our calculation, six and change million out of the 15 and a half million or so that is short is actually just a convert bond owner hedging their position. And I don't think of that as a as a outright short. So the short interest is actually lower. But if you know, if the Reddit community loves it, that's great. It's it's so it's more like 14 percent or whatever it is. Yeah. 20 minus six or so. All right. Um, no more questions. It is time to vote. By the way, we're showing you Real Reel's uh, chart in the after-hour session. It is up by about 7% right now. Are you buying Karen's pitch on the Real Reel? Guy, kick us off. Well, Mel, could you read my smart board for okay, me, please? Are you able to do up. that? Chanel, check. <laughs> Mikimoto, check. Hermes, check. Did I get that right? Yes, because Karen's so right. First of all, never buy bust-out retail again. And with those three companies right there, you get yourself a nice bag, a scarf, some pearls. I mean, it's perfect. I'm with K-Fine in 09 and in 2021. <laughs> Tim Seymour, how do you vote? Yeah, like listening to Car- Ka- Ka- Karen rattle off catalyst after catalyst very thoughtfully. Uh, she has dialed nine. She has left the yard. Uh, she has hit a big fly, um, also known as a home run. I, I think I-, I love the way the stock's been meandering. The GMV has been growing. And I think there are catalysts. 14% short interest is still nothing to shake your stick at. I mean, if you're looking for that sort of squeeze there. And the fundamentals seem to line up, Dan. I mean, if Karen's yeah. in it, so. Yeah, well, here's the thing. I was just on the app. I couldn't find any naked shorts, so they must not be in that business here. <laughs> but I, And I wouldn't be in it for the short interest. I think you named a lot of great catalysts. I buy it for reals here. You actually I like do. this. Uh, let me tell you why. I actually okay. think when, when you think about that Depop acquisition that Etsy just <laughs> made for $1.6 billion, you look at a $1.6 billion enterprise value. Yes, this company loses money money right now, but on a bigger platform, eBay trading at an all-time high today, I think, this morning. Why wouldn't you buy something, an asset like this? You could get this company profitable or this business line profitable and really grow it. So I like your call. All right. So these guys here are all in. But the question is, are you out there buying Karen's fast pitch on The Real Real? Vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. We'll have the results later on in the show. Don't go anywhere. Much more fast is back right after this. All right, check out a couple of after-hour movers. GameStop is now down about 12%. RH also on the move after earnings. It is up 
by about six. Coming up, one retailer getting a huge boost today as options traders are piling in. We will bring you that trade next. And there is still time to vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. Are you buying Karen's pitch on the real, real results? Coming up soon. Don't go anywhere. Much more Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back. There's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is talking with the CEO of CrowdStrike. Catch a full exclusive interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money. All right, let's shift gears to a major move in retail. Check out Macy's soaring 5% today. The jump comes as the National Retail Federation boosted its outlook for the year, forecasting the fastest growth for the industry since 1984. Options traders love that news. So let's get to Tony Zhang, who's got the action. Tony, what'd you see? Yeah, Melissa, we talked about this name a few weeks ago here on Options Action, where the stock failed to break above the $20 level on earnings. But a few weeks later, stocks back at it trying to break out above that $20 level. And today, options were very, uh, very active, about five times the average daily volume, almost 200,000 contracts traded today. And we saw a very sizable trade, 9,732 contracts of the July 22 calls were bought for about 55 cents. That's a notional about 2.9 million shares. That's almost 10% of today's total volume. Now, this trade has a break-even price of $22.55. That's 15% higher in just the next 37 days, so a sizable bet. And this, this trade is already up by about 35% right now. 1984, Tim, you were like at the Snack Shack and uh, Chess King and all that. You're in Macy's, though, right? <laughs> I, I, look, I was working the food court uh, at the gallery okay. and malls, working at Quick Snacks. I, I Quick would snacks. go upstairs to, to well, guy was at Chess King. I was at Merry-Go-Round, but, you know, <laughs> it wasn't pretty. So uh, Macy's uh, and Macy's, you know, since that time went through a period where I think it became ubiquitous. And I think part of the story is now bringing some exclusivity back, the digital sales. And again, the, the, the marginal dollar going to digital is somewhere north of 50 percent now, which is extraordinary. Uh, they've been forced to restructure. Their real estate is valued. Their balance sheet is better. Um, what do you pay for it? That's the big dilemma here. I don't have a position now. Uh, and I think it's something that's you know, worth showing some caution for now. All right, Tony, thanks for that. Uh, Tony Zhang for more Options Action. Be sure to catch the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Well, there are only three more minutes, to be precise, to vote for Karen's Fast Pitch. Do you think the real real is a buy? Head over to Twitter, to the poll. Let's see NBC Fast Money, the results, and we come right back. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time to find out if Twitter was buying Karen's fast pitch on the real real. And it was a real winner. 54% of voters were, in fact, buying Karen's fast pitch. So she won. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. Yeah, if you saw this guidance by Restoration Hardware, the stock's not expensive. I think you really should be buying Restoration Hardware. Guy. Twitter, sister. Karen. Yeah, sticking with real real. I'll tweet more about it. Dan Nathan. Yeah, if you get a cool CPI number, I think you buy the TLT tomorrow. All right. Thanks for watching Fast Money. We'll be back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise 
Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.